بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولا بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله إيمان came to إمام حسن البصري رحمه الله تعالى and he complained to him about a drought that was happening in his area and Imam al-Hasan advised him to make a lot of istighfar and this is narrative of one of the students that had been sitting and he sees the different people who come and ask different questions so someone else came another time and complained to him uh, that he couldn't have a child and he asked him you know, what he should do and he told him to make a lot of istighfar Another person came to him and complained about poverty, about being poor, and he told him to make a lot of istighfar. Another person complained about the dryness in his garden, and his crops weren't doing well, so he also told him to make a lot of istighfar. So now you notice every person is coming, is asking for a, diff a, a different problem that he's facing, and Imam al-Hasan al-Basri, rahimahullah, he's giving the same piece of advice to everyone, even though each scenario is different. So one of the students who was there, he asked him, yeah, Imam, every time someone comes and asks you and they have a problem, you tell each one of them as a solution for them to make a istighfar. And he said, verily, this is not my opinion. But this is what Allah states in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said, astaghfiru يُرْسِلِ السَّمَاءَ عَلَيْكُمْ لِدْرَارًا وَيُمْدِدَكُمْ بِأَمْوَالٍ وَبَنِينَ وَيَجْعَلْ لَكُمْ جَنَّاتٍ وَيَجْعَلْ لَكُمْ أَنْهَارًا فَقُدُوا اسْتَغْفِرُوا رَبَّكُمْ إِنَّهُ كَانَ غَفَارًا To make istighfar to your Rabb. He's the ghafar, the all-forgiving, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised that He will increase you. That sends down the rain upon you with rara and continuous showers. And he increases you in your money and in your children. And he increases you in, and he gives you uh, the gardens and the rivers. So each solution that the people had, the solution was actually istighfar, but they didn't realize it. In this story, we benefit many things from this story. From it is the attachment that the Salaf had to the Qur'an. And immediately we might look at this story and say, from the benefits of this story is the power of istighfar. And that is correct. That's one of the key benefits. But also the attachment of the Salaf that they had to the Qur'an, that any aspect of life, they would immediately return it to the Qur'an. And we try to train ourselves to do this. You'll see the outcome and the impact it has on your life. And that's one of the key lessons we want to gain from this sitting tonight. And I remember last night when I arrived yesterday in London, I'd been rather sick and I went to sleep early, alhamdulillah. And then I woke up around 3 a.m. I said, alhamdulillah, I still have you know, another like you know, two and a half, three hours I can sleep. I rarely get the chance to sleep. But then I remembered a promise that I made to my students that today I would give them some worksheets. I wouldn't be there in the class with them. So I said, I'm gonna send you some worksheets. And I forgot to do it before I travel. So here I am now. I can send a message to my colleagues and say, look, I'm sick. I wasn't able to, get, to, to do the worksheets as I promised. But how many ayahs in the Quran when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the ones who protect their promises? 
And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands us and tells us in the beginning of Surah Al-Ma'idah, Ya O you believe, fulfill your contracts, fulfill your obligation, your promises. There's something you promise, something you're getting paid for, something you have to fulfill. And the Prophet والسلام, when he described the munafiq, the hypocrite, he said that one of his characteristics is that he promises, but he doesn't fulfill his promise. So I had no choice but to get out of bed at 3 a.m. and fulfill the promise. Because this is what the Quran and the Sunnah of our beloved Prophet teaches us. <coughs> In this story, we see the power of istighfar and the doors that it can open. And sometimes we don't realize something this basic, one of the basic principles of Islam, how powerful it can be on our lives and the lives of those around us. Just making istighfar, true istighfar to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet والسلام, because many of us we complain about the situation of our hearts. Our hearts are hard, we find ourselves far from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we find it difficult to be obedient to Allah or to be, to be consistent in our obedience. Because many of us we might have obedience. Many of the brothers here today, mashallah, they love to be practicing brothers. We will find many of us, even if we're obedient, maybe we have problem in the consistency of our obedience. Because we're different levels. SubhanAllah, in the famous hadith of the Prophet wasallam, he mentioned how many times a day he makes istighfar. Who knows the hadith? Two different narrations, very famous. One of them, how many times a day? Seventy. That's in Sahih al-Bukhari. And the second one is 100, Sahih Muslim. But if you look at the hadith in Sahih Muslim, what comes before the fact that he makes istighfar 100 times a day, he said, alayhi salatu wasalam, innahu la yughanu ala qalbi. And this word, yughghan, what it means, or was translated as, as to have a veil, or a shade placed over the heart, or a type of absent-mindedness, which is put upon the heart, subhanAllah. Who is saying this? The Prophet that this type of veil or shade is placed over the heart, even of the Prophet So what is the solution? How can we remove this veil from the heart? Then he said And I may make istighfar in the day 100 times a day. The other narration, I make istighfar 70 times a day. This is the Prophet one of the solutions to the problems that we have and the hardest that we find in our hearts. But when we really look into the power of it, when you look throughout the Quran, the stories of the prophets, Jinnu Ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is constantly reminding us of the importance of istighfar. When Adam, when they ate from the tree, what was the first thing they said? رَبَّنَا ظَلَمْنَا أَنفُسَنَا وَلَّمْ تَغْفِرَنَا وَتَرْحَمْنَا لَنَكُنَنَّ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ Immediately, they returned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and said, Rabbana, zalamna anfusana. Oh our Lord, we have oppressed ourselves. And if you do not forgive us and have mercy upon us, then indeed we'll be from the khasirin, we'll be from the losers. And he continued, alayhi salam, on earth, when he was sent down to earth, to continue to make his tifar to and to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the beginning of Surah Hud, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, and this is from the beauty of Islam, Allah commands us, to do something and then shows us the benefit of some of the, the things we get in return. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَنَسْتَغْفِرُ رَبَّكُمْ ثُمَّ تُوبُوا إِلَيْهِ يُمَتِّعْكُمْ مَتَاعًا حَسَنًا 
and to make istighfar, seek forgiveness from your Lord, and to make tawbah, to repent to Him, Allah will give you mata'an hasana. He will give you the good condition. When you make istighfar, you're the one who's going to benefit from it. It's something you need to do. Something you have to do as a Muslim, true Muslim. And to repent to Allah, oh believers, perhaps you'll be successful, you'll attain success through your repentance. It's something you have to do as a true believer. But you're the one who's going to benefit from it. It's going to make you feel good inside. You're going to feel good when you repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're going to feel good when you find that the good things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to give you in return. I'm going to mention several stories from that inshallah ta'ala. We look at the power of istighfar. Many times our minds, when we drift back to the Salaf and to the early Muslims, we kind of like, oh, that was back then. But I'm going to tell you a story that happened from the days that we live in. And this famous sheikh, I know him personally, a good friend of mine, he told the story himself of a lady who called him and complained that she couldn't get pregnant. And obviously, if you're married and you haven't had children for some time after being married, it's one of the most frustrating and one of the most difficult things you can face. Because obviously one of the objectives of getting married is that you want to have babies and have children. And that's one of the, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described the, as the zina of the hayat of dunya. The, the, the beautiful adornments of this dunya. One of the most beautiful things in this life is the children, subhanAllah. So here she was, afflicted, <coughs> couldn't get pregnant. She said she went to all the doctors, did all the modern things that you can do to get pregnant, and still she hasn't got pregnant. So the sheikh advised her to make, once again, a lot of istighfar. To make a lot of repentance to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said, even if you do it 1,000 times a day or more. 1,000 times a day or more. He said, some time later, he said, I received a phone call from a man this time. And he said, Sheikh, do you remember that some time back my wife called you and she told you about, uh, you know, she couldn't get pregnant, you said make it stiff for 1,000 times a day. And he said, for you and your husband to do it as well. I said, SubhanAllah, we start to make it 1,000 sometimes and even more. I would make it stiff for and she would make it stiff for. Alhamdulillah, eventually she got pregnant. Alhamdulillah. Allah opened up the doors for her to stiff for. Alhamdulillah. When you look into a famous hadith, in this hadith, even though the narration, when it comes to the isnad, many of the scholars mention that it's not authentic. However, our Mashaykh, Shaykh Mubaraz, Shaykh Mubaraz, others, they mention that the meaning of the hadith is correct. It was taken from several hadith, but it's very powerful, the, the narration, the meaning of the narration. When it was said, Man lazim al and whoever is persistent. And I want you to pay attention to the word lazima. And he's persistent, he's constantly doing it. Constantly returning to, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Constantly making tawbah, constantly making istighfar. And when we talk about istighfar, I see that sometimes as, as brothers who are practicing, we might have, you know, be a little bit more easy going with it than others. Whereas we should be from those who increase. The Prophet a hundred times a day. And we'll hear some other stories about how the Salaf even increased on those numbers making istighfar to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is, this is part of the methodology, it's important to understand because sometimes I feel that some of our shabab, once we get on the track with these kind of things, you know, once you make tawbah and you get back on track, you kind of forget about having that be part of your life. And you, when, you, when you mess up, yeah, but even if you don't mess up, even if you don't think I made a, a big sin today, make istighfar part of your daily routine. Make sure you're constantly making istighfar, 100 times in the morning, 100 times in the evening. If you increase on that during the day, even do more. And we'll mention something from that, inshallah, at the end of the talk, inshallah. So in this, in this narration, man lazim al-istighfar, he's persistent on making istighfar. 
جعل الله له من كل هم مخرجا من كل هم فرجا that Allah makes for him out of every worry and ease he makes it easy for him any, any worries he has ومن كل ضيق مخرجا and everything any, any difficult situation he makes an easy way out for him ورزقه من حيث لا يحتسب and he <coughs> provides for him from that which he never thought was possible and we see this even in the meaning in Surah in Surah Al-Talaq in the ayat as well that whoever has the taqwa of Allah, the consciousness and the fear of Allah in his life, that Allah, he will make an easy way out for him and he will provide for him that which he didn't know was possible. These are the doors that istighfar opens. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anh, he was the khalifa, amir al-mu'mineen, and it was a time of drought, dryness. He went out to make salat al-istighfar. And during his istighfar, all he did after the prayer was just timbar, when it was just and when he was doing was making a stiqfa. Just making a stiqfa. And people are used to hearing other things during this istiqfa and not, or different du'as, different reminders from, from but not used to hearing just istiqfa. So when he finished, they said, we don't see that you made istiqfa. Amir means what you did is not, we're not accustomed to, we're accustomed to something else. And we don't see that you actually made istiqfa. And he said, verily, I have asked Allah with that which he will send down the rain from the sky. And immediately he went and he mentioned the ayat, he read the ayat from Surah Al-Nur that we mentioned in the beginning of the talk. A similar incident happened, or a similar outcome, happened to uh, Malik, uh, to Anas ibn Malik عنه, the great Sahabi, in his farm that he had in Al-Basra, in Iraq, that there was a drought there, and everything became dry and the crops became useless. And he went, when he saw this and what happened, and he made two rakats, and then he started to make istighfar. So they asked him, why would you do this? And he, it's not your fault that this happened, it's something from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So why would you immediately go make two rakats and start to ask Allah to forgive you and make istighfar? And he said, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, and he went right back to the verses we mentioned from Surah Nun. Once again, you see the Salaf, how they were attached to the Quran. Right away, their understanding was that of the Quran. When they saw these things in front of them, the drought and the need for, for, to send the, the, the rain down from the sky, they remembered. What is the way? What did it all tell us in the Quran? And that's a very powerful, very beautiful subhanAllah. It says, make istighfar to your Rabb. Who is your Rabb? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes himself. Innuhu. Innuhu is to put emphasis, ta'kid. Innuhu kana ghaftar. He's the ghaftar, the all-forgiving. Forgives everything, subhanahu wa ta'ala. The doors of Tawbah are open, repent to him. You see this sama'a alaykum in the Rabb. You want to have a drought, you have a problem with the drought. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send down the rain and continue with showers. Midrara, continuing coming upon us. And he will give you from the amwan, from the money, from the banin, from the children. And he will give you jannat gardens and he will give you rivers. The beauty of the Quran and being attached to the Quran. There was a lady as well in the days that we live in. Her husband passed away. And she was someone who was a pious lady who didn't want to ask anyone for help. She tried different things, tried to buy and sell, but she wasn't making ends meet. And she started to struggle very, very bad, her and her children. After about six months, 
she went to one of the sheikhs and asked him, perhaps indirectly she wants to ask him for some musa'ada, for some help. She's asking, what should I do? I'm in this situation, you know, several months, and I haven't been able to make ends meet. We've run out of money now. My situation is very bad. What should I do? The sheikh, the, the sheikh being from someone who follows the way of, of the salaf, once again, what came into his mind, the same thing as he learned from the salaf before him. He said, to make a lot of istighfar. She's thinking, I'm, my, my kids are hungry. <coughs> you know, I'm, I'm in this situation, and the sheikh's trying to make istighfar. It's not really the situation I was looking for. Okay, we'll help you out with some money now. Look for this and do this, do that. She probably was more looking inclined to finding an answer like this. But he told her to make a lot, a lot of istighfar. But she took it to heart. She thought about it. She said, you know what? It, she, the sheikh is telling this for a reason. And perhaps this would be some good for me and for my children. So she started to increase and increase and increase in making istighfar. After several months, she received a phone call. Because all her husband had left behind was a piece of land that was useless. If you were to sell it, it wouldn't even make any money. She received a phone call that there was a motorway being built through the area where they had the land and they needed to buy the land. And they gave her a huge amount of money for that piece of land. She was able to invest and live a very comfortable life for her and her children, alhamdulillah. So you see now once again, this far we think it's something small, something basic, but if you really concentrate on it and understand the meaning behind it and the power of it, it opens up so many doors for you, subhanAllah. The question that we need to ask ourselves now is how can we make our istighfar truly powerful, truly beneficial? And I'm going to give you four or five tips on how to make this istighfar truly powerful and truly beneficial. The key to being able to truly benefit from our istighfar starts with having pure tawheed. That la ilaha illallah is pure and strong in your life. That you know what is the correct tawheed, and you, you adhere to it and you follow it. And it becomes part of your life. La ilaha illallah manhaj hayat. La ilaha illallah a way of life. Something that you live by. Not just something you say, like this the part, not just something you say. It's something that's actually part of your life. Something that you truly adhere to. How do we know this? In the hadith of Qudsi, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ya Bani Adam, لو أتيتني بالقراب الأرض خطايا ثم لقيتني لا تشرك بي شيئا لأتيتك بقرابها مغفرة O son of Adam, if you were to come to me with that which is equal to the earth in sins بقراب الأرض خطايا That was equal to the earth in sins. That's how many sins you have, subhanAllah. But you come to me how? He said, subhanahu wa ta'ala, you come to me with all of these sins, but la tushrik bi You don't join any partners with me. There's no shirk. Pure la ilaha illallah. What do you get in return? La taytuka bi qurabiha maqfira. I will come with that which is equal to all of those sins that you have. That was equivalent to the sins of the earth. The size of the earth, your sins. Allah said, I will come to that. Was equivalent to that with maqfira, with forgiveness. Allah. Pure tawheed. This is the key to opening the doors for istighfar. After that, after you have pure tawheed, that you're not persistent on the sin. You're not persistent on sinning. All of us sin. Is there anyone who doesn't sin? Sometimes we get in the masjid, I say, sometimes in the masjid we get in the holy mode, huh? Not me, huh? 
Is there, I always tell this, you know, some of my students, look, in the reality that the, with the Battle of Shaban, there's no Floyd Mayweather's, huh? We'll go 50 and 0. No, no Khabib's 28 and 0, huh? You're gonna get knocked out. Shaitan's gonna get you. Sometimes it might go to decision and he's gonna have, he's gonna have his hand raised. He's gonna be victorious. He's gonna knock you out. What's, what's important is that once you get knocked out, you get back up and you get back on track. But you're gonna lose some of the battles. All of us fall into sin at different levels. But everyone sins. Is it possible not to not sin? The Prophet Ali what did he say? All of the children of Adam are sinners, ones who make mistakes. But then he showed us how to be from the best of them. He said, The best of the ones who make mistakes, the best of those who sin, are the tawabun, the ones who are the tawabun. <coughs> and what is the difference in the Arabic language between a tawabun and a ta'ibun? The ta'ibun, the one who repented. The tawabun, the one who are constantly repenting. I mean, every time they fall into sin, they constantly turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not persisting on the sins. When you look into Surah Ali Imran in verse 135, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the verses before is describing the muttaqin, he says subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَالَّذِينَ إِذَا فَعَلُوا فَاحِشَةً أَوْ ظَلَمُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ those who oppress themselves or do that which is immoral. And subhanAllah, here many times when we recite this verse, we automatically, many of us, when we read, we think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about those who are far from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you go back to the siyah, you go back to the content, how it's coming, the verses, Allah is actually describing for us the muttaqin. And those muttaqin, those are the pious ones, sometimes they oppress themselves. By sinning, by shortcoming. Sometimes they might fall into that which is immoral. But what is the difference between the muttaqi, between the one who is the pious, and between the one who is far away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but the one who is half-half on both sides of the fence? Look what the muttaqin do when they fall into that which is immoral, or they oppress themselves in sin. What does Allah tell us? What's the first thing they do? Dhakir Allah. That they remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They remember the greatness of Allah. They remember the greatness of that, of, of who they're sinning, who they're sinning against. They remember the greatness of the one who they're transgressing his boundaries, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Zakir Allah. Then right away what they do immediately. And they immediately seek forgiveness for their sins. Right away. They turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and istighfar. And then Allah tells us, Allah. Once again, and who can forgive the sins of the law? Once again, bringing us back to Tawheed, bringing us back to La ilaha illallah. Who can forgive the sins other than Allah? And do not persist on doing what they're doing while they know. The true believer might fall into sin, but he immediately repents to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and immediately seeks forgiveness for his sin. He doesn't persist upon his sin. After that, the third and fourth tip. Or the third tip, we'll start with the third, then we'll go to the fourth and the fifth. The third tip is obviously the intention. What is your intention when you make tawbah? When you make istighfar? Is it just because the morning, akkar, akkar sabah, akkar masa, we say it a hundred times in the morning, zakhlaqina. That we say it uh, in the morning a uh, hundred times, it's a custom. That I say it, you know, after the salat, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. What is my intention when I make istighfar? 
The intention needs to be to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to be serious about the, the, the istighfar. And then that the conditions of tawbah are met inside of my intention as well. <coughs> what are the three main conditions that must be met if we make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Before the nether, it's correct, isn't it? No, there's one that comes before that. Oh, actually, the nether could come first, possibly. Nether that we regret what we did in the past, and then we do what? That we make the intention to never go back again, and the other one, that we leave the sin. That we leave the sin. That we leave the sin, we regret what we did in the past, and we have the intention never to regret it. That, that becomes part of our need when we make this tiffah. And then the fourth and the fifth tip that will help us to find true power in istighfar is how we say it and feeling it when we say it. Because how do most of us make istighfar? We make this dikr. What, what's the way we do it? The machine gun dikr. Full on man. But let's be honest. When you say it, how does it make you feel? Do you feel anything inside? And you, you finished 100 times. The whole clip is gone. Reload with another 100 times. When you say it like that, you don't feel anything inside. But if you say it properly, astaghfirullah. And that's something amazing, subhanAllah, that. Even the jalala. When you say it slowly and properly, it makes you feel good inside. Allah. Yes, sir. You feel good inside. Allah. Astaghfirullah. Astaghfirullah. No hurry, that's not a rush. It's not a race to get, get the end. We want to feel it, we want to benefit from this. Astaghfirullah. Astaghfirullah. We say it slowly. And then we think about the meaning. What does this mean, Astaghfirullah? Think about the meaning. We think about our need to be forgiven from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How much we need Allah to forgive us. How much we want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us and to accept from us. And we feel it inside. Astaghfirullah. We feel the sense. Because how did the Prophet sallallahu Describe the sins <coughs> in the beginning of the du'a of istifta'. When Allah went from the du'as that we make an istifta' in the salat, when Allah he asked to be cleansed with ma'i wa thilji wa barat. With ma', with water, and with ice, and with the hail that comes down from the, from, from, from the, from the sky, subhanAllah. And all of these, you see the things of, of, of coolness, the rain, the water, and the ice, and the hail. All of these things, because the sin to the believer, it's something that stings inside. It's something he feels in his heart. So these things are the things that come and they cool it down, they cleanse it. This is the istighfar to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Once you truly feel it inside, you say it properly, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. And with this, subhanAllah, once you feel it inside, you focus on the meaning, it's going to take your istighfar to another level. There's a glad tidings from the Prophet for those who focus on making a lot of istighfar. He said in one hadith alayhi salatu wasalam, Man aradan tusukruhu sahifatuhu Whoever wants his sahifah, the, this, your book of good deeds, your book of good or bad deeds, your book of deeds. He said he wants it, if you want to make you happy, he wants his sahifah tusukruhu, to make him happy. فَلْيَكْتُرْ فِيهَا مَنِ الْإِسْتِغْفَارِ then let him put a lot of istighfar inside of it. And when that book of deeds is open, for the good and bad deeds to be exposed, <coughs> when it's put in front of us, the circle of these, these deeds, these book of deeds, 
is put on public display in front of us, in front of everyone else, Yom Al-Qiyamah. He said, if you want that to make you happy when you see Yom Al-Qiyamah, put a lot of istighfar in. And then he said, alayhi salatu wasalam, in another hadith, Tuba liman wajid fi suhufihi istighfaran kabira. Glad tidings to the one who finds in his suhuf, his, his, his book of, of deeds, he finds a lot of istighfar in. Good, glad tidings to him, subhanAllah. The one who puts a lot of istighfar into his book of deeds. Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu he said, and I find it very strange that the people in the Yahlik, he said that the people, they destroy themselves, but they have that which saves them right in front of them. SubhanAllah, look at the example he's giving. He said, the people who destroy themselves, the people who go astray, but they have that which saves them right in front of them. And they said, what is the Najat? And he said, al It's to make a lot of istighfar. He said, what is, what is the Najat? What is this? He said, it's to make a lot of istighfar. That's it. Make istighfar, and this is the way to save yourself. The question that we'll end with, inshallah ta'ala, if you look back to the beginning, we mentioned the hadith of the Prophet and how many times a day he would make istighfar, one narration in Sahih Muslim, 100 times a day. The other narration in Sahih Bukhari, 70 times a day. And this is the Prophet So this should be the minimum goal that we set for ourselves, at least 100 prophets to far a day. Maybe as we go home tonight, we can start a new sunnah in our lives. We make it still far before we go to bed at night. And the Salaf, they used to make muhasab of themselves before they would sleep. Meaning, they would hold themselves to account, hasira, to see what they did throughout the day. What are the negative things they did? And they make istighfar for it. And if they did something positive, they try to build on it on the next coming days. So making it istighfar before we go to sleep. Focusing on doing them in the morning adkar and in the evening adkar as well. Make as much as we can. Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, the great Sahabi, he said that I make istighfar 12,000 times a day. Allah. And he said, now he's following the process of making a lot of istighfar. He's the great Sahabi, 12,000 times a day of istighfar. Why is he telling us how many times a day he makes istighfar? Because of the benefit he found for himself. And he wants to share with others so they can also make a lot of istighfar and open up for themselves the khayr and the barak and the blessings that making a lot of istighfar gives to you. And Shaykh Islam and Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, the great scholar of Islam, he mentioned something amazing. He said, I find a mess, an issue of knowledge that he's studying. He said, I find some difficulty in it. He said, what is the way he found the solution? He said, I would make istighfar 1,000 times. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open up the doors and make it easy for him. He said, Islam is thinking 1,000 times a day. So we see these, you know, I'm going to make the intention to make it 100,000 times a day. Even if it's only 100 times, as long as we're consistent, we try to make as much as we can. And how easy is it now as we're walking down the street, we're waiting for the bus, we're getting on the bus, we're driving down the road, we're just saying, stop for a while, stop for a while, stop for a while. Like we said, focus on how you say it and the meanings behind it to really benefit from it. This is a short reminder I want to remind myself and my brothers and sisters of Allah knows best. Allah knows best. Do we have any questions? Or, uh, if there's any questions? I'm not going to ask you, inshallah. I'm not going to ask you, you guys want to have any questions? Yeah, good. Good time.
What's your opinion of um, saying it's the father to beads out on the streets? Like, you know, you got a lot of people who, you know, say it's the father who's the beads. What's your opinion on that? Okay, the brother's asking about making istighfar with beads. <laughs> what is my opinion on that? I don't know what it's, but I might, I might go against Sheikh Imran's opinion. I, I don't know. But it, it, this is something, actually, this is something very, uh, very beneficial. That even if some students of Nadra Sheikhs have differences of opinions, they will respect the other. Because each one is built upon something. It's not a built upon, upon hope. So my opinion, I'll show you my opinion. You see, this is my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, no, it's, not, it's permissible, there's no problem, inshallah. However, there are some scholars who say it's not permissible. I know this. But if you look back to the opinion you know, from many of our Mashiach, Sheikh Mbaz, Sheikh Al-Tameen, Sheikh Al-Fawzan, Sheikh Islam Tameen, all of them say it's permissible. So, I mean, therefore, that's the opinion that I follow. It, it, it is permissible. You can say it's better to use your hands. But, I mean, personally, I've found that a lot of times you might forget to use it. So, I find that when I go into my pocket and I find it's myself, I find it's beneficial. And then I have many of, the, of our scholars who say it is permissible, so it's not, you know. But if, a more, if the majority would say it's not permissible, that's something I would stay away from. But the fact is, is that many of them have said it's permissible. And I find it myself to be beneficial. That's why I, I started to use it. For many years, I fought myself as soon as the hand, as soon as the hand. And I found myself, which is true, but I found myself, I, I, I'd be, you know, would, wouldn't remember. When I go in my pocket, you know, I go for the phone and then I find that, then instead of playing with my phone, I can make some vicar, make some mystery father, and it's helped me out my, personally. That's my personal opinion. I'm on the I was asking about voting. So what's your opinion? We've got a sin that we regularly do, like it's something that we can't get rid of, but it's a habit. Have you um, advice to give? Obviously, because you have to make a stop with it, because you know you're gonna go back to it. Or yeah. Well, any a sin that you constantly fall into, then I mean, if you if you do make toba from it. Most likely you, you are insincere in, in your tawbah. So it's important that we know that even if you fall back into it, but you were sincere and the conditions were met when you did make tawbah, that inshallah will be accepted. But if you know you're going to fall back into it, then it's not real tawbah then. Because you know, it's, it's like, you know, nuskum, half tawbah. It's not really a real tawbah because you know you're going to go back to it. So you're not, you're not being sincere in your tawbah. The, 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 the sincere tawbah is the one that you're going to what? You're going to regret. And some people, for example, they fall into certain sins and they truly do repent, but then they fall back into it. And this is a, this is a very tricky one. Why? Because shaitan gets us here. Shaitan gets us to think, you didn't make real tawbah. No, but my, my intention was, was pure. I was sincere when I made tawbah. I, I really regretted what I did in the past. I left it for some time. I really intended to never go back to it. This was my true intention. But then one week later, like you said, it's become almost like a habit now. Shaitan gets me, knocks me down again. So here, how does, what, 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 how does Shaitan get us? He said, you're not really sincere, you're not making true Tawbah because you, you keep falling back into it. Therefore, don't make Tawbah. So it really becomes this part of our life, we continue to make the sin. But if you are sincere when you make it, even if you fall back into it, Allah will always accept the Tawbah, inshallah, if, you, if the conditions are met. And that's why we have to have that understanding and know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's the all-forgiving, the all-merciful subhanahu wa ta'ala, He'll accept from us. And that's, the, that's the, what Allah, Allah describes in the Quran, that He loves the Tawabin, and Allah Yuhibbat Tawabin. The ones who are constantly uh, repenting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning they're constantly sinning. So if we continue to fall, we have to continue to go back. And if you continue to do that, then inshallah ta'ala is going to help you. But one of the things that can help us when it comes to a sin that we fall into is to find different solutions to get out, to, to get away from it. Um, for example, 
And if someone is watching something that he shouldn't be watching, it's haram. How do you get out of it? Don't leave yourself alone, for example. Don't leave the door locked or something like that. You know, you, you should, you should, we should have this fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but if we don't have it, at least have the fear of, uh, of those around us. Sit in the living room with your computer and watch your God. You're going to watch the same thing, you're not going to watch it, right? So this is an example. That type of thing. If I'm in a bad environment around certain people, it could be the company I keep, and they keep pulling me back to a sin. Then what do I have to do? As it's prescribed in, in, in the Quran and Sunnah, I have to leave these type of people and get away from them. If you're going to keep calling me back evil, I have to be, be, keep myself patient with those who are striving for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what I'm ordered to do as a Muslim. If there's a certain area, a certain place that I go to, then I have to start staying away from those places. So you have to see what is making you fall into the sin. And subhanAllah, sometimes it can be something that's very, in a diqiq, very precise, that you might not realize. I, was, I remember I was discussing with a very good brother. He came to me, may Allah bless him, practicing brother, really working the da'wah. But he kept falling into the sin that we mentioned of watching things he shouldn't be watching all night, falling into haram. And he couldn't understand how he kept getting falling into it. And he would make tawbah and he'd be good for a month, for two months, for a couple of weeks, and then boom, shaitan gets him and he falls back in. So he found that one of the things was obviously when he was alone, no one else was around, family uh, wouldn't be around for some time, he's at home alone. That was one of the things. But he also found that sometimes he said that I would do some other sins that were smaller. Maybe it was looking on the road. Maybe it was sometimes, he said, you know, when you, like when you hear music at the gym or something like that, he would kind of, instead of, you know, not just hearing it, he would, you know, he would hear it. He would kind of be enjoying it and liking it and things like that. Uh, he would watch some things online that were a bit iffy, you know, some, some uh, clips on YouTube or some movie type things. You know, not haram, kind of also, maybe, or, or a bit, you know, not as haram as what he was watching. Maybe. I mean, it could be haram, but not as haram as that. And he found that those small things would, would be, you know, chipping away at his heart, and that would make him fall back into that sense of power. So really, you have to sit down and see what, what is happening. If you sit down and diagnose it, you're going to find out. Right? And, and, and as there's an expression they say in, in Arabic, Then everyone he is his own physician. You, you know what, what is good for you, what is bad for you. You know what is harming you. You can sit down and see what's making you fall into those things. So if you diagnose it like that, inshallah, you're going to be able to determine what it is you need to do, inshallah, to stay away from it, inshallah. And obviously, to return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with sincere repentance, making a lot of istighfar. But if you make 1,000 istighfars a day, you don't leave a lot of, a lot of uh, openings for shaitan, obviously. Subhanallah. Uh, Sheikh, you see, like, you might be in a situation where you're, like, in front of, like, people, non-Muslims, and obviously, you know, like, maybe you don't want to physically move your mouth. This might be with istighfar or dua for anything. Um, is it like, can you literally make it from the heart without moving any type of limb? Let me ask you a question. Brother's asking about, and if you're around, like, especially around non Muslims, you don't want to make <coughs> move your mouth. I understand exactly where you're coming from. They might think you're a bit crazy or something like that. <laughs> I know, what's up with this guy? They're talking to himself or something. But let's be honest. When it comes to them, like, singing their music or something like that, they got their AirPods on, like this, and then, you know, they're. They're singing their music. Are they shy in front of us? When they, so why should we shy in front of them to make others feel comfortable? So I would, I would say move Inside, if they accept it, what do you think? Is it enough? You have to move this. Go back to the aqid issue as well. Huh? You have to move, uh, move the mouth. Huh? What do you say? Hmm. Uh, 
Can we say that the Quran and Sunnah are equal or have the same status? And how would you understand what is meant by mithal in this hadith? And they were asking about the hadith, the Prophet when he was given the Quran and that which is equivalent to or like it, meaning in the, in the Sunnah. And obviously even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it clear in the Quran in several verses that what comes from the Sunnah is like what comes from the Quran. And obeying Allah, obeying the Prophet is like obeying Allah. And that which the Prophet orders you, when you take it, and that which he forbids you from, you forbid it. So when it comes to that being from the Sharia and having the same ruling, or the same impact on the ruling, it's the, it's the, they're, they're equivalent. If it's something haram in the Quran or haram in the Sunnah, it's the same. If it's a command from the Quran, a command from the Sunnah, it's the same. And no doubt about that. And, that, and that's what's meant here. So if something comes from, from the Prophet it has the same ruling, meaning that it's going to have this, and you can't say, oh, that's haram from the Sunnah. It's not haram in the Quran. So, so you don't open that door. Because Allah Himself, He said, That which the Messenger has given you, then you take it, and what He forbids you from, then you stay away from it. However, obviously, the highest status is that of the Quran. And we're about what do we go back to first? When it talks about to the legislation and to the Sharia and to look for the rulings, you go back to the, the highest status is that of the Quran, and then immediately after that comes the Sunnah. So they're not the same in that, in, in that sense, but the same when it comes to the legislative of having the same impact on the ruling, it's from the, the same from the, from, the, from the Quran or from the Sunnah. Well, yeah, obviously the brother's asking, if we make istighfar, should we think about the sin that we commit? And, and, and you, you have general istighfar that you make, or then you might have specific istighfar that you make. And then, then obviously here, if you're making a, a, a specific sin, you want to focus on that. And in general, making istighfar for it, then you might make just general istighfar from all of your sins, the small one and the big one. But if it's a particular sin, yes, think about that. And if you think about that, and I can win, that's why I mentioned the example of the impact and how it, how it feels, it's something heavy on the chest, a 
of the believer. And that's why Abdullah ibn Mas'ud as was narrated in Bukhari, that he mentions the example, a beautiful example, of the impact of the sin on the mu'min and on the munafiq. He said the mu'min, the believer, he said it's like a, a mountain on top of him, like it's about to fall, something heavy on your chest. And he said that the hypocrite, he said it's like the dubab, like the fly, and he says, you know, shoo shoo, like this, to get away from it, get away from it. It's not a big deal for him, not that big of a deal. But when it comes to the believer, it's like a mountain on his chest. So when you have that, type of impact on you from the sin, and then you think about it, when you're making istighfar, that makes it much more powerful and that much more emotional for you when you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive you. That is the same thing with asking Allah about that one. When you stop, you stop sending each other, you leave the Hopefully. But I mean, it could be a sin that has a big impact on you, and you make istighfar for every day. It depends on what it is, and it depends on your situation, it depends on the impact that sin has on you. And so obviously you, and you make it for that, you make it for others as well. I mean, at, at that time when you're looking to leave the sin, you just started eating it, maybe more of your focus might be on that. But then later, obviously, you're, it's going to be more of a wider istighfar, because you're not going to just, you know, your entire life, a sin you made, just focus on that istighfar and then forget every, all the other sin that you're making, you know what I'm saying? So that as it maybe starts to left less of an impact, you've left it, then you, but it still has an impact on you. You still feel bad about what you did. So you still remember that sin, but you remember the other sins as well and ask Allah to forgive you for them, inshallah. What's the difference between istighfar and tawbah? And istighfar, I mean, is I mean, ask Allah to forgive you and tawbah is repenting. So, I mean, they are similar in that, but I mean, istighfar is the actual, I mean, uh, the, ask, the act of asking forgiveness, whereas the tawbah is you know, to repent and to return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by leaving the sin. But there is obviously similarity between the two. That's why it's been mentioned in, in, in the ayahs, mentioned in Surah al To make istighfar and then to repent. So the istighfar is like the opening for it, asking Allah for his forgiveness. And the repentance is the next step where you repent to him, to the subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you then act upon that, inshaAllah. How can we apply sunnah in our life? Sunnah in our life? Yeah. 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 That's another lecture, inshaAllah. That's <laughs> asking how can we apply the sunnah in our daily life? Alhamdulillah, there's many aspects of it. There's a good book actually, you can find it in the, which I recommend if you haven't already read it or, or have it. And, and that's subhanAllah, sometimes something very small, as we talked about tonight, a very small in a phrase, but it's very powerful. And sometimes you have a very small book, but it's, it's, it's very beneficial. Like the book, Ismail Muslim, I talked about that when the Sheikh passed away, when we put it together. Something very small, I just want to bring the people back to making du'a and dhikr from the, from, from the Quran and the Sunnah, but the power and the impact that small book had. There's another very small book which is very beneficial. It's called One Thousand Sunnahs in the Night and Day. One Thousand Sunnahs in the Night and Day. You might have an app for, an app for it as well, I'm not sure. But that will teach you sunnahs that you can make throughout the night and day, from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep at night. So if you implement that, inshallah, in your life, that's one thousand sunnahs that you implement, inshallah. That will help you out, inshallah. But another thing is when it comes to implementing the sunnah, it's not just something that we're ordered to do. As Muslims, it's an honor. It's an honor to implement, to follow the sunnah of our beloved Prophet And many people, you know, when you see that they follow different, you know, football players, different actors, different, you know, people in the music industry, and they take these people as their idols, and they're so proud to follow them and to do the things and the trends and the things that they're doing. When it comes to us, sometimes we're shy compared to the sunnah of our beloved Prophet 
We should have Izzah, we should have honor and realize that we implement the Sunnah, we're implementing the way of life of the best man to ever walk the face of the earth, Something that should make us proud, something we should be proud to do. And therefore, inshallah, when we implement the Sunnah, we're following the Sunnah of our beloved Prophet, following the way of the best man. And when you have this thing, so how do we enter in our lives? And what an honor for me to be able to practice you know, the way of life of Muhammad sallallahu <laughs> I, I seek forgiveness from Allah. I ask Allah to forgive me. Astaghfirullah. I ask for Allah forgiveness. I seek forgiveness to Allah. I'm seeking forgiveness from Allah. Is Astaghfirullah like, good enough or is there something about it? Prophet said it means that it 100 times a day. Inshallah. It's good enough. If you add some things to it, uh, too really, and it came another dhikr, Astaghfirullah, too really, you can add that sometimes. <coughs> but you see, it's even something in, the, in, the, in many of the. Uh, after many of the ibadat, like after the salat and the hajj and all this, we're all to make istighfarat. It shows the importance, once again, of the istighfarat. Immediately after you pray, what do you say? Stop for Allah, stop for Allah, stop for Allah. Any other questions? You know, when you do da'wah, one of the special females, and the kind of follow through that you operated or show the type of their body. It depends what your eyes are doing there. <laughs> depends where you look. But the problem is if you, <coughs> you look up, yeah, you look at the face. You look down, you look at other things. Allah must die. That's why it's always better, inshallah, if you have if you can find it. some sisters who can do it for you, it's better. But obviously, I mean, if that's what you're something you're striving to do, you know, striving to convey the message, it's a good thing. And as Allah told us, and you Allah must have offered, fear Allah as much as you can. You, know, you try to look down. And, and sometimes you'll find it a, a, something that uh, it could be actually a way of guidance. And sometimes, because what Shaytan gives us, if you don't make eye contact, you don't so this, you're not showing this, it's disrespectful in our customs. Therefore, maybe she, 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 she won't accept Islam. So we look at her and all of this. And, and we're actually committing a sin, thinking that we're going to find barakah and blessings in our da'wah. Where we found, so I remember one time there was a sister who became Muslim, and when they asked her in the end, why did you become Muslim, uh, what, what impacted you? She said, when he came to visit the Imam in the masjid, he said he didn't look up at me one time. Whereas all people, because she was apparently very beautiful, is that, you know, men always like look at her like this. He said that the whole time I was there, he kept looking down, and he wouldn't, he spoke to me, wouldn't look at me out of, and she felt respected out of that. He wasn't looking at her for, for what she looked at outside, but she was, he was talking to her intellectually, talking to her inside, subhanAllah. I remember a story that happened to me. I was uh, filming a documentary. I was in Dubai, and the, the producer, she was a Russian lady. Uh, it was about how I became Muslim, and you know, they come around filming me in, in the school where I was working, and after school, and so we're, we're in a brother's house, and we're filming a, a part of the thing. So I had to be. Uh, she was like sitting here, but it's like a camera, and my, my eyes had to be like eye level. And it'd been a long day. I've been teaching. I wasn't really thinking. So she said, "Just look at the level of my eyes." And, um, and and just talking, the camera's gonna be looking at me like this. So like the first time I did it, but naturally right away, what happened is I looked down because here's a woman in front of me, and I'm not even thinking about it. You know, because I was really tired. I've been working the entire day and filming all this, and I look I looked down. So no, no, you have to look up at my eyes. I looked again, and then I realized after a couple of like twice, I was like, dude, I said, you know, a woman in front of me, you're gonna look at her eyes. You get to that, you know. So she was like, um, I said, I can't. Uh, she said, no, just look at my eyes. I said, no, no, I can't. I said, you have to move to the side and put something else like on the wall. 
she said, there's something wrong with my eyes because she, she's like blonde hair, these like super bright, you know, blue eyes, you know. And I was like, uh, I'll tell you later. So I didn't want to get off topic of the, of the filming, but I said, I'll tell you about it later. I said, just put something on the wall. She put a piece of tape on the wall, even though I think she put it too high, because if you look at the film, I'm actually looking up a bit. You know, that's where I was supposed to be. She put it too high. But she didn't forget. She came to me after me. She said, now I need you to tell me, what's wrong with my eyes? Why won't you look at my eyes? I said, I can't, because I've been trained by the teachings of the Quran and of the Sunnah, the way of our, our beloved Prophet that we're not allowed to look at women who are not halal for us. So therefore, I said, I didn't think about it in the beginning. I was just tired. And I realized, I'm looking into a woman's eyes. It's not for a lot of you. I said, I can't, I can't do that, you know? Uh, but I didn't want to open the door and debate with her about this. So I explained to her, and she found it very interesting. I was like, wow, that's interesting that you would, you, know, you have that belief system where you wouldn't do it out of what you believe in. And people actually respect that in the end. Most people. Other people, you know, it doesn't, you know, at the end, our objective as Muslims is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. If they don't like it, alhamdulillah, we're still going to do it, inshallah. So fear Allah as much as you can. Look at the ground. You know, uh, and hope inshallah don't look at, it, at the other things that they're exposing all on the stuff. If you find a sister to do it for you, then you save yourself in general. And if you work in Dawah group, <coughs> like if you have sisters and weeping brothers, like we always use exhibitions, especially. Where you can have this thing. The sisters go to the, my brother said, no, no, I'll do it. I'll give her Dawah. And I said, no, I'll fetch it. Get that, The sister's job, you know. Um, when it comes to the experience of the Mashiach, I guess the, 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 the biggest impact that I ever, ever had making what I saw <clears throat> was with Sheikh Mbazraim the whole time. Because when it came to the dhikr, every time you would see him, he would always be making dhikr, subhanAllah. And I remember when I started studying in the science of hadith later, that they would mention how there'd be sometimes like in the, in the halaqa of Imam Ahmed, who had, you know, 5,000 students. And they said, no, 500 of them were right, and 4,500 would come just to look at his manners, uh, So when he would make the dhikr, uh, Imam Ahmed and the others, the scholars of hadith, during the, these big halaqas, because you hear, you know, 5,000 students, and how can they hear? They don't have the microphones like we have today, so how are they able to relay the message? They had something, it would be the muballid, meaning that one of the students, there he would repeat what the, the imam said and the other one repeat in the back and that one on that side too would go all the way back to the end of the halaqa but just to make sure that it went correctly they'd have to make it come back correctly as well so they said for example he narrated this to me and he would go back there go back there go back in the back and then come back all the way to him, make sure there's no mistake made in what he said it came back to him just like it went so it wouldn't be like a chinese whisper uh, when it comes and it comes back something totally different has to come back to the ship the same way it left and they mentioned that from the adab of the scholars during this time, how they would benefit from their time, making istighfar, making dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as it were, not wasting time. They didn't have what we have today, waste our time. As a way for something, subhanAllah. Now they would benefit from making istighfar, from seeking repentance to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When I used to shit with Shaykh Mubaz in the days that we lived in, and he, we would see every time that he would have a free time, he would always make istighfar and make dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I saw him talking on the phone the first time I met him, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. And just between being on the phone, answering a question, and being his reader reading to him on the side, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, SubhanAllah, Alhamdulillah, Allah. You know, I remember one of the brothers, he said, every time we go and sit with the Shaykh, we increase in our iman and we increase in our dhikr. But then we tend to forget after that. So that's something natural. And when you sit around people like that, you're going to increase. And that's why we're encouraged to be around those people who, who, who we increase, uh, those people who increase our iman and make us better. And I remember something, um, back to our, our Shaykh, 
Sheikh Muhammad Nasser Sulaibani, who Sheikh Muhammad mentioned in the beginning uh, of this talk. When I left uh, Medina, one of our neighbors in the neighborhood I lived in with the Sheikh was Sheikh Abdul Razak al Maybe he's probably been here from the before. Uh, the, the son of the famous scholar of Medina, Muhammad Sheikh Abdul Hussein Abdul. May Allah grant him good health and good So Sheikh Abdul Razak, I went to him and I told him, Sheikh, I've graduated now. And they all seen it, give me some advice as I'm about to leave Medina. So I'm thinking 10 years in Medina, you know, the Sheikh knows me, I know him. I think he's gonna give me like a special advice now, something, you know, on another level, not something, you know, basic or something like that. He's gonna give me something really special. So what do you advise me? And as I was asking, uh, we were at Masjid al-Muhtazib, and, and, and uh, the Sheikh wasn't pray there anymore. That's where he used to pray, a small Masjid around the other side of the Sheikh house, the Sheikh Suleyman's house. So as he was coming out of the Masjid Sheikh Suleyman, this is Sheikh Amir Sheikh Amir, 25th birthday. As he's coming out of the Masjid, Sheikh Abdul Razak, he said, I advise you to be like your Sheikh. Okay? And he said, you see how he is when it comes to the Salat? And how is he when it comes to the Salat? As soon as the Adhan is being called, he's walking into the Masjid. Five times a day. Never, never, oh, always coming into the Masjid as the Adhan is being called. He said, you see how your Sheikh is when it comes to the Qur'an? As soon as he praises two rakats in the masjid, immediately with the Qur'an. Every day after the Fajr, with the Qur'an. In fact, the, 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 the lessons that we studied with him, we were actually the first group to study with him, the private lesson. We only did the ones in the Haram, we were teaching him in Masjid Nabawi. And we were the first group who started with him, studying private lessons. It was uh, me, uh, Sheikh now from uh, in Bahrain, and two from Kuwait. And SubhanAllah, uh, we started with him after Fajr. And after some time, he said, I can't do any more to fight. This is my time for the Qur'an. It's my private time. And he would finish the Qur'an you know, several times in the month during that time. He said, you see how he is with the Salat? You see how he is with the Qur'an? He said, that's all you need. That's what you need to be like that, inshallah, when, when you go wherever you're going, inshallah, after you, you graduate and you continue. Back to the basics. With the, and that's what we see in being around them. You know, I remember many of the sheikhs that we studied with, they would focus on the issue. And sometimes he, and he, they would say the issue of... Uh, you know, memorizing the hadith and memorize Bukhari and Muslim. He said, that's a great thing. But more important than that is, is the tarbiyah, the things that we take from the hadith itself, implement them in, in our lives and actions and we, we put them into actions. So that was some of the, you know, the key things that we would see uh, from that is to put the knowledge into action. I remember one time in my first year in the, in the, in, in the college, there was an issue, the issue of iman. And you know, there's, a big, there's a big fitna between the brothers and some of the du'at and some of the mashaykh. There were some fatwas issued about some of them when it came to the issue about the amal being part of the iman. And if someone doesn't act upon, have, have any amal, is he considered a believer or, or a disbeliever? If someone doesn't act upon his, his, his so-called iman. And subhanAllah, I went and asked Sheikh Abdul Razak al-Badr as well, as I was walking to Salat al-Fajr. He came out of his house and I came out of where we met on the way. And he mentioned something amazing to me. And it's just one of the things that's always stuck to me, subhanAllah. And he mentioned a hadith showing that inside of Bukhari where the, the amal is from the Imam. He said it's very clear, it shouldn't even be an issue of debate. What these people are saying, obviously, it's very contradicts the Quran and the Sunnah. But he said, what's you know, more important that we focus on is that many of the Shabab, many of the youth who are getting into these conflicts and different one another and they're debating one another. He said, many of them, he said, well, why do they don't come and pray Salat al Fajr in the masjid? Well, that's so true. I, I would, you see them, oh, the debates and this. Uh, Someone who said, Sheikh this, Sheikh that, and pa, 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 with each other. Wallahi, they don't come pray for us in the masjid. And he mentioned something amazing that Imam Ibn Qayyim mentioned, and then I found it later myself in the book of Fawad, Ibn Qayyim. 
what he said, that any, any knowledge that you have that doesn't increase you in the Iman, he said something's entered into that knowledge, meaning it's, it's not pure, it's not something that's it's good knowledge, it's not beneficial knowledge, and something impure, meaning the, and the intention has entered into that knowledge. Any knowledge that doesn't increase your Iman, it's not beneficial knowledge, it's not the knowledge that you want, subhanAllah. So those are some of the things that we benefited when we see the implementation, the name of our Shaykh, like Shaykh Yahya, who was, you know, you can see him when it comes to the, the even in Ramadan, subhanAllah, the last two Ramadans ago I was in Medina, and you still see them when it comes to like, you know, his daily routine, not like us, I'm, not, I'm like, I sleep till Thor in Ramadan, you know, most of the time, almost time. But he's, you know, eight o'clock, he's in the office, you know, he's in, he's in his library, he's researching. After Thor, between Thor and we take his Qaylula, always there in the beginning of the, uh, the masjid, when the Adan's being called, going to the masjid. You see the implementation in your life, is, and then uh, that, that's, uh, you, you see the true fruits of knowledge, true benefits of knowledge, and you see it in action from those scholars. That's the important being around those types of individuals, help you increase, inshallah, become stronger, inshallah. I mean, Arabic language is, is the key to be able to properly understand knowledge. There's only so far you can go with, with the English knowledge. If you want true knowledge, you want people to truly be able to understand, you have to learn Arabic. It's not something that's mustahab. But even many of the scholars say that's part upon the Muslim to learn Arabic language. Like Shaykh Rastan Timir, he said that, which you cannot hear. He said, because understanding properly the Quran and Sunni said something that's wajib. And that which cannot complete the wajib except for with it, then it becomes wajib itself. Therefore, the tool which you need to understand the Quran so it's something which is Arabic, therefore it becomes wajib, as Shaykh Islam Mutabia mentioned. When it comes to the practical tips on how to learn it, it's actually very, very easy. Uh, like Nike says, what? Just do it. Uh, that's it. If you really want to do something, you're going to do it. I remember one brother came and asked me one time, I said, bro, I said, how many languages do you speak? Because I know in the UK, many of the Asian brothers, they speak a minimum, sometimes, if not two, three languages. Because Mama, she's from somewhere in Pakistan and Baba's from somewhere else. So he speaks Pashto and he speaks Urdu and he speaks uh, English. Uh-huh. So I said, I said, bro, you already have three languages. And if you really wanted to learn it, you would have done it. But the thing is, you're too lazy and you really don't want to do it. You say you want to do it, and you become 30, and you become 40, and you keep saying it, and you're still on level one Medina books for, for, for 20 years. If you really wanted to do it, you would do it. And I met people, Wallahi, who speak very good in the Arabic, and they've never went, went, went overseas. We have, this, we have this thing, you have to go overseas to learn Arabic. I remember I met a brother in Denmark, you know, white, Danish, blonde hair, big blonde beard, you know. He came to me, Salam alaikum, kifahalu. He's talking to me. I was like, you know, this is like Medina type area. I was like, mashallah, I need the rest, you know. Where'd you study? He's like, well, Copenhagen, Denmark. I said, well, I was like, impressed. It's really good in Arabic. He's like, yeah, it's too far off serious. They don't want to learn. I did it all online myself. You know? He said, if someone wants to do it, they're going to do it. This is the reality. If you really want to do it, you can do it. Everything's online. You take out the time, you put in an hour a day, and you're going to find yourself learning Arabic. You're going to come to people who speak Arabic and practice after you learn about something. Come and make a, make a fool of yourself around Sheikh Imran and the brothers who speak Arabic. They'll correct you. You might, we might laugh a bit with you, inshallah, but inshallah, it, it'll be all, all good fun and you'll, you'll learn, inshallah. Start to practice. And then you're going to find once, and eventually you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to learn like anything. And you'll find people who make, who migrate to countries, for what? For dunya, for a passport, well, they learn the language. If you have to, some countries, not like the UK, you don't have to learn English, you know? 
they made a deal about that, you know, and I think we should have to know English, but personally, but anyway, we get involved in, in the politics. I agree that you should know the language of the country. You have a, an English passport, you can't speak English, it's a bit, bit strange to me. <laughs> but, and I, you, I, I always give the example of, you know, imagine like you have a, a Saudi passport, or, you know, and, and you're, you know, this, you know, Arab country, you can't speak Arabic. It'd be, be kind, of, kind of foolish, wouldn't it? It wouldn't make sense, you know? Pakistani passport, you can't speak Arabic. It doesn't really make sense, right? So you should, or you should speak at least some language in Pakistan, you know? But the point is, is that you need to speak the language of the country. But people learn, like, you go to, like, Norway or these, or Denmark or somewhere, you have to know the language to get the passport. Wallahi, mashallah, people learn it. When it comes to Arabic, yeah, uh, 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 there's always this type of excuse and you don't learn it. I was just in, uh, in, in Norway recently. The Imam of the Masjid, mashallah, the, the tilaw of the Quran, amazing. Allah speaks, you know, really good Arabic. So how did you do it? He said, I learned right here in Norway. He didn't, go, he didn't go anywhere. Memorized the entire Quran, memorized the basic mutun, uh, the books of the scholars, and learned Arabic, alhamdulillah. He, he, he did it by himself. And there's an expression in Arabic that says, man jadda wajida. Whoever is serious, he'll find it. So if you're serious, you're going you're to find it. There's many ways, whether it be on the ground here in the UK, you have a case to teach Arabic. Online, you have everything available online. And if you're serious, you're going to learn Arabic, inshallah. Any other questions? Well, bye. Would you uh, give to someone, or what advice could we give to someone who is um, taking a path of drugs and his family's neglected? Uh, the issue of drugs, it's, um, and, and those who have taken the pathway, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's an in-depth question, but because it's, 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 it's a sad reality many have taken. Um, but I, I think the main thing is just to, you know, they have to understand the harm they're causing to themselves and to others. And you have, you have, to, you have to give them hope, show them an alternative. Uh, you know, and show them the danger that they're doing to themselves and advise them, work with them, you know, and, and see, you know, like I said, a lot of times when, when it causes things like drugs, it's usually the atmosphere you're in to the people you're around. These are some of the main things. So you try to help that person get out of that, that environment, get away from those people, and bring them to a better environment. <coughs> It's become, you know, when you when you go away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're missing something in your life, and that's what opens the door for drugs. That's the way you know, uh, Allah mentioned, you know, that whoever really uh, whoever turns away from my remembrance, that he will live a miserable life. And when someone lives the miserable life, he's looking for a way out. I remember what I mean, when I was living in the Middle East, but before I actually moved to Ireland, we were um, waiting for some, my brother to get some, some restaurant uh, from the restaurant, and uh, a lady walked by. She was very beautiful, we noticed, we, put our, we, we lowered our gates, alhamdulillah. But nonetheless, you know, you saw this, this beautiful lady coming, and she was walking, and she had in her hand like this, you know, one bottle of, uh, of Pepsi, another one, a bottle of whiskey. And I said to the brother with me, I said, SubhanAllah, I said, you see a, a beautiful woman like that, if she were to have become Muslim, she would find many men, you know, who would, who would, you know, would, would want to marry her and treat her like a queen. But obviously you could see in her face the depression that she had. She was sad. She was, she was lost. And she's, you know, she's going back home to get blasted now so she can forget those worries that she has. So a lot of times people find that all that's, that's also something. You know, what, what is troubling? What is making them fall into that? You have to try to diagnose the problem with them try to help them with those problems and try to give them hope and show them an alternative inshallah so they can return to Allah subhanahu It depends obviously if the person is Muslim or non-Muslim. And sometimes if you know, a person is non-Muslim, bring them you know, to faith. Obviously sometimes 
that just, you know, have helped someone just get on the way. Someone's far away from us, want to bring them back. So bring them into a good environment, bring them to the masjid. And inshallah, they just hope you, inshallah, they're going to And don't forget the power of dua and try and help them as well, inshallah. Any other questions? Jazakallah khairan, ma'am, wa'alaikum. Allah wa'ala wa sallam.